0: Listen, I am super excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to preach. It is always a blessing to spend some time in the Word for all of you. So thank you so much for having me and allowing me to preach this morning. In case you didn't know a little bit about me, I'm a very sentimental guy. More than likely I got that from my mother, so thank you. But I'm always randomly reminded of little memories of people I've met over the years, and as I was reflecting on a few of them, I was a little disappointed that someday I may never remember all of them, that I might forget some very important people that I've met along the way. My thought was that there's no way we can remember every person we've ever met, people we went to school with, people that go to our church, people we work with, people we volunteer with. We're not going to remember them all. But there are specific people that have remained in my heart and in my mind with vivid detail without fail. There are people that I haven't talked to in years that always remain at the forefront of my memories and my heart. And do you know who those people that I remember are? Do you know who they are? They are the people that impacted my life the most with either their words or their actions. They will stick. They're the people that made me feel a certain type of way. Some of them are in the room right now. Some of them were extremely kind to me when I didn't deserve it. Some of them listened to me when I just needed to express myself. Some, some of you pushed me to be better in many different ways. Some of them called me out when I need to be called out. Mom, some of you spanked me. Some of you prayed for me, encouraged me when I was down out of the blue. And some of you just set a humble example for me from afar. And because of those reasons, I have not forgotten them, and I hope I never will. And honestly, I'd be, I'd be willing to bet that if I asked every single one of you to name someone just like that, you'd be able to name a few immediately. Off the top of your head, you'd be able to name a few now, what I noticed is that for me, it was always people that I went to church with. It was always people that I either worshiped with or random ladies from the church that want to talk to you because they know your siblings or your mom. It was always at church that I met people like that. And I think that the answer to why that is, is in what we're talking about today. And it's this. It's a result of them being faithful servants. It's a result of those people being mature believers like Paul is talking to us in scripture, that Jesus is talking to us through scripture, mature believers who care and care genuinely. So my hope for you all today is that you challenge yourself to not take a position of, oh, I want to have more people like that in my life, but to take this position instead. I want to be that for more people as I move forward. So in today's passage, Paul gives us two strong examples of that. And so before we get into that, I would love for us to open up in prayer, okay? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father God, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I thank you that you love me when I'm unlovable. I pray, Lord, today as we go through the passage that Paul has written, that you would just open our hearts and open our minds to receive what you have to say, to... Not hold on to things that we love, that are not of you, that we would be honest with ourselves, that we would challenge ourselves, that we'd be willing to hear what you have to say for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, just before the passage that we're going to go into today, I want to sum up what Paul has charged us to be, and it's Jesus Christ. He's given us a great example of who Jesus is, and at the same time, he's being an example himself. And his charge is powerful, and this is what he says. Be of the same mind. Be of the same love. Be with one spirit and one purpose and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Be humble and make others more important than yourselves. He says, have the attitude of Christ, our Savior. He was God himself and he emptied himself to come down to this earth to become a mere man. He was obedient even to the point of death. And Paul says, and to that even death on a cross. It also says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do it without grumbling as the Israelites did with Moses in the wilderness. Be blameless and innocent. Be children of God. Be above reproach in this crooked and perverse generation. Be lights of the world and hold fast to God's word. And lastly, he says to them, rejoice with me when others are faithful. Paul says all of that Right before, before this passage. And, and so that we might not walk away from this letter not fully understanding or knowing that it is possible to be like Christ. And so that we might not walk away from this thinking, Paul, I can't be like Paul. He's amazing. I can't do what he did. Jesus, he's an example. But I can't be like he was because, I mean, he was God himself. He was perfect. I can't be like Jesus. And so that we completely understand, Paul follows up that whole list of commands with two examples of people that are really practical, two people that we could absolutely be like. Now, it's a rather long passage, so just hold on with me. I'm going to try to read it all, and I won't go verse and verse, verse, you know, at a time. Philippians two nineteen through 30. This is Paul. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Second part, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again you may rejoice and i may be less concerned about you receive him then the lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of christ risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me paul gives us two examples and he gives us two examples because his heart is that we really understand what it's like what's so great about paul is that he's even in this moment He's caring for the Philippian church more than his own needs. I mean, think about this. Paul is in prison. He's alone. I'm sure he's going through some really awful times. He's carrying a tough load. He, of all people, had every right to say, no, I'm going to keep Timothy and Epaphroditus for myself. But he doesn't. He had every right to keep those men by his side. But he sends them away. So, example one. Timothy Here's some background on Timothy. You can read all about how uh, Paul meets Timothy in Acts 16, but we know that Timothy's dad is a Greek and his mother's a Jew. We know that Paul met him on his very first missionary journey, and that at this point when Paul meets Timothy, he's already a believer. And when Paul gets that, the other believers around the town are speaking highly of him. They're talking about how great he is, how much he's preaching the gospel. And so Paul hears this, and he responds by stealing him for himself he takes him on his journey he takes him away from from where he's at and he he becomes this integral part of what paul's doing worldwide now here's what paul says about timothy in that first part it's essentially this and it's only like one sentence so don't worry i won't preach the whole paragraph okay but he says these two things he says that timothy is a kindred spirit and he's genuinely concerned about your welfare Paul's saying, he's just like me, church. He's just like me, the one you long for. He's been with me this whole time, and he's sold out to the gospel. In the same way that Jesus, when he mentions him in verse 7, empties himself as a servant, Timothy is also doing. That's what Paul says. He's saying, Paul is not like those other preachers I talked to you about. He's not self-seeking. He's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can be more confident about how Paul sees Timothy because he mentions him in a lot of the letters, first of which is in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. Paul clearly thinks highly of this man. Second one, 1 Thessalonians. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and coworker, In God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Timothy, what an awesome man, what an awesome servant, what an awesome helping hand. Paul is looking to send this man that could be helping him away. And here's why. Here's why Paul wants to send him back. Paul first wants an update. We got to remember, Paul takes joy in hearing about how his churches are succeeding. So Paul wants an update. He cares, think about this, he cares so genuinely that he's just like his master, Jesus Christ. So much so that the news of how the people he used to preach to doing well would be an encouragement to him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I want you to succeed, but I'm not like crying tears of joy every time you tell me God answered a prayer. I'm just like, oh, that's awesome. But but Paul, Paul's like, he takes it all on the inside he thinks so highly of those positive updates for so many reasons. He's practicing what he preaches. So Root River Church, I ask you, is, is your heart where Paul's heart is? Do you care about how everyone else sitting here is prospering in the Lord or not? The second reason Paul is looking to send them to Philippi is that Timothy's going to update them about him. Paul knows what the Philippian church is thinking about. They care about his situation. And so he wants Timothy to tell them, all about what he's going through and that he's doing well. Because he knows this. Paul knows that they're going to be encouraged. Paul knows they're going to be enlightened. Paul knows they're going to be growing because of it. They're going to be challenged because of it. They're going to be all the more encouraged and press on toward the goal that Christ Jesus has given us. It's not because he's selfish or anything like that. They're going to be encouraged as a result of Paul and Timothy's servant hearts. Think about that. That church, that Philippian church, that group of people who loved one another so much, served with one another so much that they were beginning to show the very signs of unity Paul had been preaching from church to church. Be unified, be of one mind, one spirit. What's so cool is that it was a your joy is my joy and my joy is your joy kind of relationship. How sweet is that? How sweet is it to have that when you can feel somebody else's prosperity and you be joyful for that, even if it might not be happening for you. And Root River Church, I think we're on our way. And I'll be, I'll be honest, I, I feel like I see you caring for one another. You're organizing meals for people in need. You're visiting people when they're down. You're encouraging one another. You're stepping in. You're broken for one another. And if Paul were in my position right now, he'd say, keep going. Don't stop. That's exactly what our Lord wanted. Second example. Epaphroditus. What a name. It's a pagan name, by the way, a little background on him. He's a Gentile. And, and I know that we talk about Timothy a lot and we don't talk about Epaphroditus. But I feel like this relationship Paul has with Epaphroditus is special because Epaphroditus was a convert of Paul from the very church he's sending him back to. There had to be a special relationship there. He brought this man a gift that God had given to him, salvation. And that man's life was radically changed because of it. And here's what Paul says about him in the letter. He speaks way more about Epaphroditus than he does at Timothy in this letter. But he calls him a number of things, first of which is brother. He calls him brother. He calls him a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. And I want to think about that for a second because I feel like Paul is not going to say that about just anybody. Paul, Paul doesn't let people just come on his journey. Paul doesn't just let people tag along. Either you're there to work And you're there to preach the gospel. You don't get sick and leave. You're there. And and so if Paul is calling this man, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier with like military terms, that means he seriously endorses this man. But he also follows up and says, Epaphroditus, your messenger and minister to my very need. And that word minister that he uses is imagery to the Old Testament priesthood. And in my Bible study time. It was like Epaphroditus' ministry to Paul was like they talked about in the Old Testament, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so he uses that word so the Philippians know, hey, this is what you do. You may have only sent Epaphroditus, but you be just like that. He also says that Epaphroditus has anxiety. He's distressed because they heard he was sick. And here's what's so silly to me. Epaphroditus cares... So much about the Philippian church that he's anxious about them being anxious about his sickness. I feel like that's like a mom move. Like moms see their baby sick and they're worried and then they like feel the same sickness and worry and they're sad. And they're like, I just want my baby to be better. Obviously, I have a mom that does that. So my interpretation is very clear. But I'm like, Epaphroditus, this is my mom. You're doing that about a church. I mean, it's silly, but how sweet. And Paul says, yep, indeed, he was sick, even to the point Of death. And that word death is the same word they use with Lazarus, that kind of death. That's how sick he was. Now, knowing who Paul is, how much more sad, frustrated do you think he'd be knowing that this man died tending his needs? I feel like he would have hated that. He would have felt like he was selfish, that he kept him for too long. But he ends it by saying, God had mercy. These two men praised God, gave God the glory he said, God had mercy not only on him, but also on me, and his life was saved. You see, these two examples Paul gives are so important, and we have to understand this. They were both men who were this, faithful, reliable, like-minded, thoughtful, loyal, and most of all, they were servants. And I, church, I think we often, often twist our view on that portion of our calling. We often twist what it is like to be a servant. We think of servanthood or being a servant or serving as maybe volunteerism. We think that it's a day that we go do something. Showing up on your scheduled day to play on the worship team, to help in the kids' area, or collect you know, clothes and food for homeless and underprivileged people. It's, it's those small acts. We think that that's serving. And although that's really important, and I know I just asked you at announcements to do that with me, it's not what being a servant is all about, because being a servant is a lifestyle. It's what Paul and Jesus Christ has called us to be. I'll repeat it. Serving is a lifestyle. It is not limited to your helping hand or donations to specific organizations. Serving is about people, about making people more important than yourselves. Putting their needs before your own. Not, I'll put this stuff before my own needs, but my needs that are over here are going to be a little more important. It's all their needs. Put, putting all of their needs before needs of mine. There's some more scripture on that. I, I wanted to read that, and there's, there's parables about that, right? The Parable of the talents. Like there's, there's parables about this, and I won't get into all that, but I picked out a few verses that really just punched me in the gut. First of which is Mark eight thirty four and 35. This is Jesus. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross. He must follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Paul already tells us this in the Philippians, but he says it to the Corinthians too. 1 Corinthians ten twenty four. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Says it to the Romans as well. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it, and in your Bibles it's titled something like Self Denial on Behalf of Others. Paul is saying this all the time, Romans fifteen one through three A. Now we who are strong, we ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself. Paul is taking that so seriously. And we know that because he's in prison. We know that because he needed people and he still sent them away. We know that because he's writing the Philippians and he's caring about them and he's just so tender with all of that. And it's super sweet. We know he's putting everybody in the whole scene before him. And when I read this passage, I really was reminded of someone that I'm, I'm always thinking about who set a great example in my life. This whole passage just reminds me of a good friend to many of us here at River Church who passed away before this summer. This whole passage seen with Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus reminds me of our good friend Brian. I remember how sick Brian would get, and I know many of you would too. But Brian, even in his sickness, would still come to church. He would show up to worship practice and just sit. He would show up early for service to help set up. He would stay late to tear down. I remember Scott and Beth just begging him, go home, take care of yourself. But Brian was resilient, but it got to the point where he was too sick and he started staying home a lot more often than others. And I, I know some of you also went to visit him during that time. I know Beth did, Tiffany did. Many of you went to go see Brian. Some of us just to have fun, to be silly, to get his mind off of what's going on, to talk and others to preach the gospel to him. And I'll never forget this one time me and my brother went to go see him. Me and my brother went to go visit him. And we did not know how long we were supposed to stay, what the etiquette for that kind of thing was. Do we stay the whole night till he's like asleep and sneak out? Do we stay for an hour? Is he exhausted? Does he not want to talk to him? We didn't know. And the truth is we were, we were both nervous. We loved Brian. And we knew Brian loved us. He treated us really well. But we knew our friend would die soon. But didn't stop us from loving on him. So we went. I show up, and he's in his little recliner. He's got Bibles all over the place. He's got puzzles all over the tables. He's got a tiny little kitchen way in the back. And we weren't expecting a thing from him. We didn't want him to get up. We didn't want him to do anything. We show up there. This man's dying. He made us a huge meal. It might seem a little trivial, but he made us a huge meal. He cooked way more food than the three of us could ever eat. But he knew we liked to eat, especially me. So he wanted to make sure I was fed. He, he cooked some ravioli for 1,000 people, and he was like, take it all. It's all yours. But we spent hour after hour talking about his life, his story, how he met Jesus, his life before Jesus, which is very colorful. He asked us about how our lives were going. We talked about the Bible, especially the book of Revelation, just because he's super passionate about it wants to talk about all that craziness. But at that time, I had been wrestling with a specific passage In the Bible, I wasn't settling well and I really wanted to understand it. I had asked many people. And so after we had eaten dinner and he sat us back down, we're just, me and my brother are uncomfortable and like, what is he doing for us? Making us feel super special. He sat down, opened his Bible and he started walking me through passage by passage. I didn't ask. I didn't bring it up. I didn't talk about it, but he knew about it. And he had done all this research so that he could make sure I understood What Jesus was trying to communicate to me. He made sure to share his perspective that was riddled with scripture after scripture. But even more than that, Brian had typed up notes in a Word document so that even after our conversation, if I had forgotten anything, I could just use that to study. Here we were thinking that we were going to love on Brian. And when we walked through the door, we were treated like royalty. He had made up his mind that he was going to love us. There was no way that we would have pity on him. He would love us. I will never forget that day. I will never forget how selfless he was, even in the small things. I'll never forget the moments he's here at worship, serving. The tech job is hard. And he had a smile on his face every single day. I'll never forget that. And what's interesting is I still have all the ravioli in my freezer. (laughs) And I don't think I'm ever going to do anything that's going to stay in there until I die. I believe with all my heart, River Church, that Jesus' intention is for us to serve, the, serve people the way Brian served me and my brother that night. Imagine the impact you would have. Imagine the impact on your inner circle, on your siblings, your friends, your coworkers, people in this church. Imagine how they'd be. Imagine how they'd talk about you. And more importantly, imagine who they'd be pointing to. The world church is in desperate need of people like Brian, people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and and Paul. It starts right here in this room. And these are Paul's instructions. This is your charge as a believer. Either you will step up to the plate or you will not. And some of you right now may be thinking that it's not feasible to be that much of a servant. Some of you may believe that that's too overwhelming for you to accomplish might be terrifying. You might even think that life is destroying you right now and that you're the one who is in need of this service. And I want to be very clear that only Jesus Christ is your answer. Only Jesus Christ. Coming here will not ever be enough. Your first step is running to Jesus no matter where you're at in this life. I mean, think about what Pastor Scott has been preaching on the last several weeks and months. We're fighting a spiritual battle, not a fleshly one, not one of this earth. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And your job, if you're feeling way too attack, what has Pastor Scott preached on the last couple weeks, to put on the full armor of God. Then you can stand firm, right? And serve. Your calling on this earth, church, 100% includes finding your inner servant. 100%. Let's pray. Father God thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you that we get to be in a room like this and worship you and dig into your scriptures, dig into your word without issue. I thank you that there are people like Epaphroditus, Timothy, and Paul, and also Brian Reynolds. I thank you for that example, Father. Help us to be more like that. Help us to Care more about the needs of the person sitting next to me than my own. Forgive me when I'm selfish. Forgive me when I having an evil mind because I care more about me than anything on this earth. Rid me of that, God. Pray, Lord, as we leave today. The word from Paul and his example about Timothy and Epaphroditus would be stains on our heart. We can never get rid of the lesson that are from those two men. Help us to spread your gospel. Help us to work tirelessly. Preach the gospel so people can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray.